Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And today I want to talk to you in this episode about Gethsemane. There are many very famous places where history-changing battles have taken place. Right offhand, I can think of Waterloo, Normandy, Gettysburg, Midway, Guadalcanal, and so on. In truth, the direction of humanity has been changed to a large degree on the battlefield. But I would like to suggest today a place where the greatest battle of all time was fought and won just a little way outside of the city of Jerusalem. The place I'm talking about was called Gethsemane, a word that simply means olive press. It was located across the brook Kidron, near the foot of the Mount of Olives, east of the city of Jerusalem. It is called a garden in John 18.1, so I will have many occasions to refer to the Garden of Gethsemane throughout this episode. In the Garden of Eden, the first war on earth was waged and the first people, Adam and Eve, fell through yielding to the adversary, to the evil one, Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where the greatest battle was waged, Christ conquered by yielding to the Holy One, God the Father. The Bible makes some interesting comparisons between Jesus and Adam. For instance, in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, we find the following. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as though one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Now that's an interesting comparison, but we need to be careful not to misunderstand this comparison. 
Sin and death entered into the world through the transgressions of Adam. But understand, we do not bear the guilt of his disobedience. The reason sin and death hath passed on is because, as pointed out in verse 12, all have sinned. Just so, justification has been made possible by the work of one, our Lord Jesus, but it is not automatically passed on to anyone either. If a person is justified, it is because he or she has responded in obedience to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, thus taking advantage of the free gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22, the same idea is expressed in these words. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Where Adam fell, the Lord triumphed. Let's focus our attention from the remainder of our time in this episode upon the Garden of Gethsemane and what that place was to Jesus. The gospel accounts of that time are found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. We will be looking at different statements from each of the accounts. We can certainly begin by saying that it was a place of appalling distress a heaviness of heart, if you will. Matthew tells us in Matthew 26, verses 36 and 37, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. Personally, I like the King James translation of distressed as very heavy. I appreciate the idea of heaviness, and the reason why is so who among us can begin to understand the weight that was laid upon his shoulders at the time. I struggle with how to put into words what Jesus must have felt as he entered into that garden on that Thursday evening as we divide the days. I rarely do this, but I want to give you another person's comments about the agony of Gethsemane. The man's name was Frederick Farrar, and he wrote in a beautiful, flowery style of days gone by. What I'm about to read came from his work, The Life of Christ. I personally appreciate the way he expressed his thoughts. Here is what Farrar wrote. Jesus knew that the awful hour of his deepest humiliation had arrived, that from this moment till the utterance of that great cry with which he expired, Nothing remained for him on earth but the torture of physical pain and the poignancy of mental anguish. All that the human frame can tolerate of suffering was to be heaped upon his shrinking body. Every misery that cruel and crushing insult can inflict was to weigh heavy on his soul. And in this torment of body and agony of soul, even the high and radiant serenity of his divine spirit was to suffer a short but terrible eclipse. Pain in its acutest sting, shame in its most overwhelming brutality, all the burden of sin, this was what he must now face in all of its most inexplicable accumulation. But one thing remained before the actual struggle, the veritable agony began. He had to brace his body, to nerve his soul, to calm his spirit by prayer and solitude to meet that hour in which all that is, is evil in the power of evil should wreak its worst upon the innocent and holy. And he must face that hour alone. No human eye must witness 
except through the twilight and shadow, the depth of his suffering. Yet he would have gladly shared their sympathy. It helped him in this hour of darkness to feel that they were near, and that those who were nearest who loved him best stay here, he said to the majority, while I go there and pray. Leaving them to sleep on the damp grass, he took with him Peter and James and John and went about a stone's throw further. But soon even the society of these chosen and trusted ones was more than he could bear. A grief beyond utterance, a struggle beyond endurance, a horror of great darkness, a giddiness and stupefaction of soul overmastered him, as with the sinking swoon of an anticipated death. It was a tumult of emotion which none must see. That, in Farrar's words, is why I appreciate the translation of very heavy. Sometimes we can get to thinking that we are carrying the weight of the whole world on our shoulders. At least I know that I do from time to time. But the fact is, Jesus really did. When we think our burdens are heavy, just let our minds drift back to Gethsemane. For Jesus, Gethsemane was a place of intense emotional suffering. Matthew 26 verse 38 tells us, Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. What Jesus was going through, he was going through for us. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. The Hebrew writer told us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, But we do see him who has been made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 also comes to mind. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Luke vividly describes for us the height of the Lord's suffering in Luke 22, verse 44. He wrote, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. The Lord knew exactly what he was about to undergo. He was to be the perfect sacrifice. Each sacrifice contains an oblation and the immolation. Jesus was the oblation, the offering itself. His crucifixion was the immolation, the death or destruction of the thing being offered. Looking back, we can clearly see the meaning of such verses as Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6, which says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Gethsemane was a place of awful loneliness for Jesus. Back in Matthew 26, this time verses 40 and 41, we find, 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The tender and anguished heart of Jesus yearned for fellowship that night. But down in verse 43, we read these words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. For me, this calls to mind Psalm 69, verse 20, where David wrote, Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Later, after Jesus was arrested in that place of distress, heaviness, suffering, and loneliness, we find in Matthew 26, verse 56, then all the disciples left him and fled. Consider with me Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 61. It helps us to see just how abandoned Jesus was by perhaps his closest disciple. And having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. I tell you what, the words the Lord turned and looked at Peter haunt me. I can feel what it is to deny the Lord because my actions there have been times when I have done that very thing. So whenever we get to feeling sad, lonely, and forsaken, it helps to think of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a place of agonizing prayer. We are told in Matthew 26, verse 39, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I just can't imagine it. We already saw Luke tell us that being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Mark tells us in Mark 14, verse 36, that Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for thee. Remove this cup from me. Abba is an Aramaic term for father that denotes the closest and the tenderestness of that relationship. Jesus was crying out to his father for help. So intense was his agony that Luke 22 verse 43 tells us, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. So, if we should ever find ourselves crying out in deep despair and thinking that no one is listening, it helps to remember Gethsemane. The victory came in the fact that for Jesus, Gethsemane was a place of complete surrender and resignation. In his prayers, Jesus would say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He prayed in Matthew 26 and verse 42, My Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. 
What opened the floodgates of sin and brought death into the world was the fact that man in the first garden said, My will, not thine, be done. What brought salvation into the world was Jesus in the other garden saying, Not my will, but thine be done. I am reminded of a passage we have frequented lately, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, which tells us, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In every crisis, in every trial, in every experience, Let's be sure to remember Gethsemane and approach it with the same attitude, which is not my will, but thine be done. Think about these things.